our message is, you know, take a proactive approach. You know, I think there there does need to be sort of a re-education around how to behave on the road as a cyclist. One thing with the pandemic is a ton of cyclists got onto bikes for the first time with so many bikes and so many people new to it. You know, I think it's important that we get education out there and people understand how to keep themselves safe and everyone around them safer as well. Welcome to the bike lane. I'm your host, Jake Siegel. With us today is Bob Nyduke, Director of Electronics at Trek Bicycle. As Director of Electronics, Bob leads a team responsible for all things electronics, including safety technologies out of Waterloo, Wisconsin. Trek has been a founding partner of ours at Tome, kicking off the Vulnerable Road User Safety Consortium at SAE. Formerly the Bicycle to Vehicle Advisory Board, I was personally in the trenches with various stakeholders at Trek, right there with Bob, locked in arms, convincing the industry that together we could all make the world a safer place to ride a bicycle and an e-bike and a scooter. So Bob, welcome to the bike lane. Oh, thanks, Jake. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's exciting to, to get in this conversation and so much to cover. So first, let's start off a little bit about your background and, and how you got your role at Trek Bikes. Sure. Uh, grew up in the Motor City, born and raised, um, and uh, you know, grew up in Michigan most of my, most of my life. Um, went over to uh, Western Michigan University there in Michigan, got a couple of degrees and moved out to Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, actually spent 15 years in the fitness industry. So um, working in product development the whole time, a ton of change, obviously the impact of Peloton, which everybody's sort of aware of and cut my chops as far as learning product development over on the fitness side and got heavily in the electronics and streaming, um, a lot of different applications as far as you know fitness is concerned. And then just up the road was Trek Bicycle and was able to get an opportunity about two years ago to come join them as the director of electronics and uh, really has kind of led me here. That's awesome. And it, it's great, especially as part of the show, we, we talk a lot with folks that have a cross-cutting relationship between the the auto industry and the bike industry and general mobility. And it it's also for a lot of our listeners, they not like, like just to repeat, like Trek is a Midwest company, American bike company. And I mean, there's a, a certain culture and style of sharing and, and getting things done that that I love about being a Detroit guy. And I, I think that we share that even though we're we're a, a lake apart from each other, there's a lot of a lot of shared culture and, and values at, at Trek Bikes that is very much a solid Midwest company. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, moving from from Michigan over to Wisconsin, there's a lot of uh, a lot of parallels there. Uh, a lot of Midwest nice, easy cooperation, transparency, a lot of trust and I think it leads to just getting a lot of stuff done. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about Trek. So Trek does, uh, uh, probably most of our listeners have heard of Trek bikes. I mean, it's, it's Trek, right? But you're more than just traditional bikes. You guys are doing e-bikes, accessories, electronics, and more, right? I mean, so Trek's got a whole bunch of categories. So just talk a little briefly, tell tell listeners about what Trek's doing and, and some of the breadth and uh, depth of, of where uh, where you guys are at and where you're going. Yeah, you know, everything uh, centered around a bicycle. So you mentioned, um, you know, we make city bikes, road bikes, mountain bikes within each one of those categories. There's lots of different types of riders. Um, I work on the aftermarket side of the business, uh, on the electronic side, uh, which also includes helmets and shoes, wheels and tires, and anything that basically wouldn't come on the bike that you could buy in a bike shop. And then there's other businesses as well. So B-Cycle, which is a rideshare company that we've been involved with for well over five years, 10 years now 
you know, a lot of other smaller businesses, things going on in the company as well. So if it's bicycles, odds are we're either partnering with somebody or, or the company's involved in it. That's great. And I mean, I think it's probably most of our listeners don't know that the Trek's involved in, in shared bikes. And I mean, these are bicycles that you'd find stationed at your your local city suburb area and you can you can rent and borrow so uh and i know we'll get into this a little bit but um about like how that enables some opportunity to deploy some safety systems but before we get there uh, let's talk a little bit just about electronics and what's within like your domain so there i love that passion that's coming from the cycling community and uh, within your team, specifically the electronics team, how does passion for riding and passion for whether it's sport or commuting or whatever, like how does that passion get brought into the products and the the projects you guys are working on? Yeah, you know, um, it's kind of in the blood of everyone here. And it's, it's, it's cool at Trek because everyone's a different rider. You know, some people are new, they come in, they sort of get into it right away. And then it just kind of kind of seeps through the system and people eventually become riders. Some people are mountain bikers. That's what they do. They go out, they head over to the mountain biking trail and they shred over there. And then you have road cyclists who are out there, you know, very close to, you know, vehicles and roads and different pathways. And so I think everyone's so passionate about it. Um, I think, you know, our team in particular, you know, we're very focused on giving people the confidence to ride bikes. And so when we look at our portfolio and our products, we're like, okay, you know, I, I talk all the time about my mother-in-law. She has a great bike. She loves riding on the road, but she always kind of questions like, hey, you know, should I be going out there? What keeps me safe? And, you know, and educating her. And I, I'm usually thinking through different products that we're working on. Like, you know, is that going to give her the confidence to go ride bikes today? You know, and I think you'll see that up and down our team. We're very passionate about the safety numbers and, and trying to improve that. That stuff circulates amongst our team so quickly when that stuff gets posted every year. And, you'll find a lot of passionate people always kind of focused on, on that particular space for sure. Yeah. It's, it's good to have that cross cut as well because people have different experiences. And I mean, I've met a number of, of uh, former road cyclists that stick to trail for safety reasons. And, and there's new people coming into the sport that uh, some of them are coming out of their, their basement on Peloton or their basement on Zwift. Uh, some people are coming over from the tri community and uh, at least few of my friends that are triathletes and they, they don't consider themselves cyclists, but they're starting. It, it's like they're used to riding in big circles on flat land around a park road. And, you know, the idea of like having to put your hands out on the bars and not in the, uh, the arrow arrow position and, and pay attention to group Peloton tactics is, is somewhat new. And, and then you throw cars in the mix. So having a different perspective uh, helps certainly understand the use case. And, I mean, I know you guys get it, but it, it's important to understand for a lot of listeners is that Trek's got this, you guys have that experience set and you, you, you're pulling from different types of riders, whether it's, you know, B-cycle, mountain bike, or even like the pro Peloton. I mean, you guys are have, uh, Trek, say Fredo pro team and, and, you know, you tap so many different areas of this and you know, why I think it was just critical that you guys were one of the founding partners in, in our work efforts. So that's, that's just awesome. So uh, within that, let's talk a little bit about connected safety. So Michigan guy, right, over at Trek, working on bicycle vehicle communications. What's your take on vehicles? So, you know, how to like, how are you looking at this? How's Trek looking at the vehicle side of the equation? Um, stepping away from the, the Waterloo bike side of the equation. I love vehicles. I have a couple of them at home um, that I use myself. So very, very, you know, grew up in Motor City, know all about that. But I think it's a really exciting time because technology is kind of catching up. I think 
in the auto industry. You know, I think like, you know, we talk about like, we couldn't even plug our iPod into a, an automobile a few years ago, you know, and now we have Bluetooth and we have a lot of connectivity. We have literally have 5G service in cars at this point. And the interesting thing about the bike side is that e-bikes has accelerated technology on the bike side. In the past, you know, it was an acoustic bike. You might have a computer on it. That's how you got connectivity. And I would say within our, our organization, um, just amongst our teams, you know, e-bikes has accelerated having more technology. And with that, just it, it creates a lot of opportunities and synergies between us, the auto industry, you know, and you can get really creative with low cost technologies to kind of keep people uh, safe. And I think I think we're still at the beginning of it. it it's definitely a, a, a complex problem, but I think um, now is the right time. I think the technologies, the communication, um, you know, vehicles being able to see cyclists or pedestrians and, and same vice versa, us being able to see automobiles. There's just a ton of technologies now that are, are starting to really show results and um, starting to get popular within, you know, cycling in, in particular. What technologies are, are you guys looking at? I mean, it's um, obviously we'll, we'll get to a little bit about uh, how you're looking at uh, analog or acoustic safety technologies, but from a, uh, electronic standpoint, what, what kind of tech are, is on, is on the roadmap or radar or watch list? Yeah. You know, we're kind of everywhere. There's something going on around rider safety. We talk a lot about anxieties with cyclists in particular, like what are the anxieties keeping you from getting on a bike, you know, making things simple. You know, one thing I've learned since being at Trek is that bikes are actually like a really complex piece of machinery. When you add an e-bike and electronics, it's even more complex. I mean, you think about bike shops have changed to be able to kind of service this stuff. Our roadmap is really consistent with giving people the confidence to get on bikes, making that experience really simple so they can just get on, start pedaling their bicycle and not have to worry about all the complexities that come with cycling and also that they're going to be safe when they're out on the road. So, you know, I think, you know, if, if there's a technology out there, whether it's communication whether it's a hard good, you know, right now, you know, we're looking at it um, because we know that, uh, you know, there's just a lot of, a, a lot of opportunity out there to improve things. I personally, I use a, and I'll, I'll plug this and put a link in, in the description for the podcast, but I use the flare and ion uh, lights from Bontrager, which is a, a the brand uh, accessory brand for Trek. And what I love about my bike lights is they're, they're the always on lights. And uh, there's a, a light sensor in there that, that detects whether it's night or dark. And, the ultimate feature for this is that like when I'm riding, especially this time of the year and, and you're know, getting into the fall time when I'm riding, as we start to get the sun starts setting down and you start in the shadows, the light automatically goes from a daytime flash to like a night flash mode, which uh, is pretty useful. And, and then the front light's pretty cool. It actually goes from like daytime flash to illumination. So my ride home from the after group ride beers is uh, a little bit safer for me to see those potholes, which we have a lot of here in Michigan. I know we're working on that, but they're still everywhere. I don't use the Bluetooth function on that today, but you guys already have Bluetooth connectivity to allow these lights to be controlled by remotes and, and head units, right? Uh, bike computers. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's correct. We have Bluetooth wireless remotes, they can let you switch between daytime flash, nighttime, you know, if you want to have day flash, it's starting to get a little darker out, you can go ahead and turn that on. You know, you mentioned daytime running lights in general. So, you know, Trek was a pioneer for bike lights in terms of having lights on during the daytime. You know, you think about even like a distracted rider. So uh, the, the light that you mentioned, Jake, the uh, Flare RT, 
um, under the Von Traeger brand that can be seen from over a mile away. You know, even a distracted driver is going to have to kind of look up at the road occasionally, I hope over the next mile or so, you know, and so the opportunity that they're going to see that red flashing light within that mile is pretty high, like 240% more visible is, is what we've had um, sort of researched in the past. And that's kind of what we shared. And it, it has made a, a dramatic difference. And we, you know, there's not enough people out there probably using them. Um, and that's kind of our goal is to continue to get that message out there and get them on bikes because it helps both. It helps the cyclists and it also, you know, I think helps the, the automobile driver as well. And I, you know, I think I've seen a lot of times people, I think actually respect the fact that you're being proactive as a cyclist and you have lights on and they see that and you see that you're being safe. And I would say more often than not, people are actually moving over because they sort of respect the fact that you're being proactive mm-hmm. and being out there. So. Yeah, I, I just anecdotally, when I first started working with Trek and you know, I had the lights and this was, I think, the first year those 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 particular lights came out with the far distance. A lot of the uh, uh, older people in the Peloton were like, shut that thing off. That's annoying. And um, there's two sides of the story. The first side is it's an education thing, which is anything new can be annoying, regardless of what it is. And the second side is that it is pretty annoying when you're riding behind somebody and they've got a, a light mounted to the back of their helmet right in your face, flashing at like full power. And that's what I was saying earlier about having a remote and having some options to have what I would consider to be appropriate behavior. So if I'm in a large Peloton and I'm riding on a group ride, I, I usually don't have my back flashers on unless I'm towards the back of the Peloton. And that's a choice. And it's real easy for me to quickly do that. But I also know when it goes to night mode and I, I run a, a Thursday night uh, ride, we call it the Dirty Thunder, where we hit some gravel and hit some roads and hit a couple of like the fun trails around. Like as soon as it gets dark, we got to go with a full on um, headlight. Like I have like a proper um, like bar mounted headlight with like 1100 lumens or something and I run a medium power. But on the back, like, I, like you don't want to be in daytime flash with a group because it's annoying. So you mentioned about the cyclist acceptance and there's definitely a story about about riding alone and and what that what that's like but i feel like having not just the technology but the right user experience so that whether it's at a bike shop or at a peloton or your cyclist coffee shop or wherever it's going to be is like being able to like share with a rider that from the bicycling industry perspective is you get it is like it's like we don't we shouldn't have to put giant um like sirens on our helmets and like put a 10 foot orange flagpole on the back of the bike. Maybe the recumbents should do this because they're solo to the ground. I'm not going to totally <laughs> trash a recumbent cyclist, but it's like, like just from a physics perspective is like, we're visible, we're, we're out there, but we just need to be recognized by other humans driving in cars. And I feel like there's a, a, a balance and a story there. There is. And I think when you're in a group too, I think that's when cyclists become, you know, distracted when they're riding. Right. So that's when maybe that light is even more critical because you're talking with a friend and, you know, maybe, you know, somebody kind of sneaks up on you. Right. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, I think at first it can be annoying. I think uh, people kind of come to terms over time. They understand that, like get it into night flash. So it's not quite, you know, in your face and, and you know, too distracting, but you know, it's kind of a, an important key. And, um, you know, like I said, those peltons can be, you definitely can get distracted. You can get out in the middle of the road, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit too often as you're chatting and, um, you know, it's just another tool in the toolbox. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, whether it's uh, reflective material at night, which is, is, you know, is really, really a, a great tool. And then, you know, fluorescence like neon, for example, like they don't show up naturally um, in a landscape, 
you know, in nature. And so, you know, those things are just small things that you can do to just make yourself more and more visible and, you know, just helping everybody out on the road. Yeah. Uh, so we want to talk about the ABCs and I'll tell you that like, just from what I learned is like, I, I think that there's like the cool, well, maybe like five years ago, the cool looking cyclist, which is all stealthed out, like in the very dark colors. I know that Rafa's whole thing. And, and I think, uh, the new stuff from Pactimo and Volley, it's all like the earth tones, which camouflage perfectly when you hit a dark section on like a gravel road. And while that might look really cool when you're getting your Instagram photo set up, it's like, I look I, like I'm out there and I got like bright neon socks that have reflective in the band. Like I have a, a neon helmet. I got the bike lights and, you know, to me, again, it's like there's a fine line between that and wearing the orange safety vest, which is ultimately. And by the way, when I see a cyclist wearing an orange safety vest and, and he or she's usually coming up from the north of Detroit, I mean, and just by like like the, the pannier bags and everything else, it's probably someone doing a long commute. And it's like that's that to me is like it's a much safer way. So you kind of have to choose to some extent, like the safety side of it. But it is a lot more than just the electronics. So you guys have the ABCs. What, what is that? And I know you guys had this captured you had a blog on this, uh, which uh, our, our listeners can check out in the bike lane on our website. It's homesoftware.com uh, on the bike lane link. But talk about the ABCs because it, it's a lot more than just just electronics, right? Yeah, no, as you mentioned it. So just the first component of it, you know, related to the lights is just having it always on. So it's, it's making sure that you're always having your lights on so people can see you, whether it's daytime, nighttime, make sure they're on. Um, I mentioned fluorescence earlier. Um, you know, the big part there is that, you know, just not to repeat myself, but, uh, you know, fluorescents don't occur naturally in nature. And so the human eye picks them up really, really quickly. Um, and so, you know, if you can have those on in the daytime, you're just going to increase your chances of being seen. And then reflective material, you know, one of the misconceptions is that neon colors show up at nighttime. Actually, they don't. You are, mm-hmm. the cyclist is not going to, or uh, an automobile is not going to see you. So, you know, that reflective material and then actually having it in areas where there's some motion. So, kind of the holy grail of conspicuity for cyclists is if you can have something like on your ankle and as soon as some another human being in an automobile sees that thing moving in a circular motion, they can recognize really, really quickly how fast or that that's a cyclist. Um, our human eyes are kind of trained to do that. That's why we're like really good at identifying like moving animals, right? And I'm sure we did that back in the day to mm-hmm. stay alive. It's the same kind of concept. Like we see that motion and we know, oh, okay, we make sense of it. That's a cyclist. And, you know, it's a really powerful thing. And yeah, it's not quite as cool, but you know what? Like when my kids get a helmet, it's neon every time they're going to Jersey, it's neon every time. And, you know, I think if, if we're going to always, you know, my one son always jokes uh, from the TV show, Blippi, first things first, safety first. Yep. And, uh, you know, they're always going to go there with the kids. So we should do it as well. Yeah, it's, I feel like trees don't move, but cars do, right? So you kind of, uh, for the mountain bike community, it's like a, we don't have a bicycle to tree technology yet, maybe coming soon. Uh, but like from the vehicle side, it's like there's a lot going on clearly for drivers. I mean, just assuming everybody's sober and paying attention, there's just a lot going on right now. And, and uh, you know, being able to be recognized and the conspicuity word, that's that's, that's the word, the, the big word that we always talk about in, in safety and the ability to be recognized. So you're not just a flashing light up ahead. And that's, that's big and, and being able to interrupt and, and be seen. So it's, uh, we, we, as an industry, we leverage a lot of 
how the safety systems are integrated on the respective consumer brands. So we're talking Ford, GM, Nissan on the vehicle side about how they're going to make sure they execute safety for the driver, the passengers, the vehicle. And then on, on the bike side, you know, it's a track slash Bontrager story for how you're going to make sure that that customer and that rider is going to uh, be safe, feel safe. And I think that when you bring everybody together, there has to be those underlying technologies so everybody can agree, but then there's definitely some things that are separate. So uh, sometimes I refer to this as yours, mine, and ours. So uh, I'll ask like from a Trek side, um, you guys clearly have a lot on the yours um, part of it. And I think that it'd be good to hear from, from you about what are some of the areas that you guys are looking at that is uh, ours or it's like everybody needs to come together in order for the safety level to increase. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I, I've been working, you know, obviously the work we've done with Tome, you know, I think re really it's just kind of coming together and understanding what the other group doesn't understand, you know, and I think sometimes we forget we're in this industry, we see things happen, somebody getting hurt on the road, or we've been doing things for 20 years one way. And we don't understand what the other group doesn't understand. And I think that's where I think a lot of the progress can be made between just kind of partnerships between the auto industry and cyclists and Volvo road users is having that conversation because I don't know a lot of those technologies. In fact, like when I have those conversations, I'm Googling the acronyms a lot of times, trying to figure out like what ADAS is. And I'm pretty sure I've quoted it incorrectly and used it incorrectly when I'm referring to it. Yeah. You know, this stuff is new, you know, like a lot of these technologies are new from the auto industry. I mean, we're, we're just now kind of experiencing some of this stuff when we rent a car, right? And all of a sudden the steering wheel is kind of bumping as we move to the left and we're hitting that, that line. And, you know, that's moving so fast and it shows up on a car every day, you know, something new and it's fantastic. And, you know, the car industry's been, it's been amazing, the technologies that they've developed. And so I think like getting an understanding of what they're doing and the technologies they're putting in and then being able to sort of share that with them. And one of the big things was the conspicuity thing. Like they didn't, you know, some of those early conversations, there wasn't an understanding of what the auto industry or what the cycling industry was doing. And they're like, oh, wow, you guys, have, you know, this is awesome. There's a lot mm -hmm. of information to say that this works. And, you know, I think that's kind of the area to start. I think the other part of it is just is, is cost. And I think like, you know, I think it's been said, if it goes into a car, it, it's going to be there for 10 years. And while there's a lot of really good technologies, they don't always work, you know, on both sides uh, between the two. And, mm -hmm. you know, putting a, you know, a hundred dollar box in the back of a bike and having it weigh 50 pounds isn't an option. Uh, although it might be really good at communicating with a, with a car and, um, you know, and I think finding that those kind of low barrier technologies and the synergies, I think that's probably where the biggest opportunities are. Yeah, that's a great point. And, um, if you're wondering, that's a ADAS is advanced driver assistance systems and it's an industry term. So for most of our listeners are in industry. So if you're not familiar with that, that, uh, any anybody coming from the car side usually is familiar with that, and there there are these uh, ADAS systems, and we try to have in the auto side just a a standard set of approvals and uh, making sure that we know what's safe, so we're all in the industry talking the same language around uh, lane departure or blind spot monitoring uh, is a, is considered an ADAS system. So there's like these different ways in which we want to have standards. And it, it, you're, you're absolutely right about that, Bob. There's a great opportunity for 
conspicuity from a rider standpoint to like, uh, like for example, there could be some really affordable things to do. So imagine a, uh, so reflectors as, as probably most people know are required equipment for all bicycles that hit the road. Now, uh, fortunately or unfortunately for most sport riders, that's the first thing that comes off with the dork disc, uh, on the cassette when you, when you get your new bicycle, hopefully it's being replaced by a, a flashing light, but imagine if the reflectors, had a hidden feature in there that was not for humans, but for sensors on cars so that the vehicle that hit the reflector would know that and I quickly identify whether it's a bike, an e-bike, a scooter, or some other thing. And uh, just today I saw a thing on LinkedIn. I, I should be put a big asterisk on this. It's like, this is on LinkedIn. It was posted by a third party, but it was somebody following a horse-drawn carriage and a Tesla didn't know what it was following and it kept, now fortunately the car was slow and knew that there was an obstruction, but it kept on the screen switching between a semi-truck, a vehicle, and a pedestrian and it couldn't figure it out. Well, having some identification technology that's like super low-tech, non-electrical, could be really cost-effective and work. But it would have to be something the whole industry would have. It wouldn't be some proprietary Trek thing that only certain companies could access. That just, that wouldn't scale, right? Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, and it's not just, you know, vehicles to bikes and technology. Like, it, it's also like person-to-person conspicuity, you know? And I think with bigger vehicles, you know, the line of sight, um, I drive a Ford F-150 and there is a blind spot in, you know, kind of in my dashboard where I've gotten caught a couple times, not seeing cars. Yeah. On the A pillar. Yeah. The way it's, mm-hmm. you know, and so like humans, us as humans seeing other humans, like that's also, you know, there's two pieces of this. It's that, because if we can improve that, you know, we know humans can recognize things a lot further out um, than technology can. Now we can't stop a car as fast as technology can. Technology is really good at that. And so I, th- I think the opportunity of those two things, that person to person conspicuity and then, you know, some sort of, like you said, low cost technology there where we can start to recognize each other quicker and just arming each other with information so that, you know, we can make a decision that I think will be best. Yeah. So one thing that we're getting a lot of inbound uh, on and at home, and it's a big discussion point, is the $1.3 trillion infrastructure bill. And, and there's so much in there for connected infrastructure. So are we going to have bike lights that just uh, automatically turn all the lights green for us and, and turn lights red for the cars? Or what are we looking at here for uh, uh, but like connections with street signs and that sort of thing? What, what, what could the future hold? <laughs> I hope not. Um, although that would be pretty nice. You know, it's, it's kind of tough to get out when you have clip pedals on and have to get going again. It lowers your average speed quite a bit when you're cycling. Um, no, I don't think that. I, I, I think that it's just another tool in the tool chest mm-hmm. for us, right? And I think we talk about talking between automobiles and cyclists and VRUs and the infrastructure is just another data point data point for us, you know, and, you know, we know in cycling that, you know, infrastructure can make a, just a huge difference in the safety of riderships. You know, I, I live here in Madison, Wisconsin, just south, uh, just south of the city. And, you know, there's a, a pretty wide road that people take downtown and it doesn't have a barrier in it. And I think all the time, I'm like, man, if we had a barrier here, so many people would bike downtown mm-hmm. and move down there and, you know, with park cars and, are driving back and forth and 
you know, things like that infrastructure can just make just a huge difference. Um, and if, you know, think about the, the pedestrian lights, which, you know, a little obnoxious and actually kind of scary as, as motorists sometimes, but you know, those make a dramatic difference when, you know, somebody hits those, when you need to cross the street to go to Trader Joe's, you know, you're like, oh, okay, let's, uh, you know, let's slow down where if it's just a crosswalk, it's, it's a different experience. And I think, you know, infrastructure is going to be a big piece of it as well. Yeah, the uh, we had Noah Bunyan from People for Bikes on on the show uh, a few months back, and and she talked about still one of the most highly effective forms of cycling safety is is uh, concrete, and uh, it, it I get it. Also, with the bare with protected bike lanes, you're less likely, almost impossible, to have a FedEx, UPS, Amazon delivery truck in there. And in the suburbs, that's one of the biggest things that I've seen personally is that there's a lot of delivery vehicles. Those drivers, they need a place to park. And without having an intentional place for them to go and do their deliveries, they're parking in that lane. And uh, that's one example. Another example we have in Detroit is the city of Detroit has done a fantastic job adding protected bike lanes, but they put in protected bike lanes without putting in budget for street sweeping. So we've got a, a road um, 14th and, and it's, or Hamilton, excuse me, it's horrible because like the entire bike lane is just littered with glass. It's got parked cars all over the place. And then that puts us where we used to have uh, two lanes each direction and then a turn lane. So it was like a five lane road. Now it's one, one north, one south, one in the middle, protect a bike lane that's not safe to ride in. And that puts us in front of cars and it's just upsetting the drivers. So I feel like the execution, and again, we're going back to your point about the, like the communication between all the parties and leveling up. I mean, it, I, I think this will get sorted out in some time, but it, it still is a challenge about like, and you said, just understand the other side. Cause I'm sure that the planners and I tell I, this, on this example with the, the Detroit glass and the, the protected bike lane, I was talking to a couple of the other uh, elder ride leaders in, in the community. And I was like, you know, you can't, can't get upset because people are trying to make cycling safer and that's a good thing. So uh, now the execution, we can talk to them about better ways in our opinion to, to do that. So they would go. And for those of us that ride bikes a lot for commuting and, and for sport or just anyone that's just out there a lot, like these are things that we just know from experience, but for a lot of people, this is a new topic for them to, to learn how to, how to coexist with uh, bikes, cars, scooters. And it, it's a bit of a dynamic, especially in the motor city. Yeah. It's, it, you know, we're, we're all learning together with this whole thing and it's expensive too. It's, you know, putting investing in that for local municipalities and stuff. And so I think, you know, we have great organizations like people for bikes who can kind of lead us in directions and share examples like that, right. Of, of good and bad and where things have gone well and haven't. And, you know, I encourage everybody, you know, I think when, you know, your local city has those planning meetings and stuff, you know, go down if cycling matters to you, you know, have a conversation and be a part of it. Um, it doesn't take a lot to get that stuff thought through and implemented. Um, it just takes a little effort on your part and, you know, all the experience we can bring, it's, it's going to make a, just kind of a, a safer world for all of us. Absolutely. And if someone wanted to get involved, uh, where would you recommend that they would go contact or like what would be a step that a listener could take some action? Yeah, just go to your local city hall. You know, I think you'll see sometimes there's, there's uh, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll actually post public hearings on the website. Um, sometimes they'll actually post signs when they're going to redo an intersection. Um, like just down the road, they're doing a, a new intersection here that um, is not safe for cyclists. It has a blind corner and I don't even think it's safe for automobiles either and you know things like that and just go down and just ask about pedestrians what they're doing you know to, to keep pedestrians safe 
how they're making it cycling friendly, um, super worn through. Um, so, you know, that, that's just a couple ways that you can find that stuff out and, and get involved. Yeah. Great, great suggestion, Bob. So I think that there is a lot around the rider participating and how does Trek see the role of the rider and safety? And I, like, maybe there's a little bit of a tie in with some of the strategy around uh, purchasing some bike shops and, and having the end to end experience, like you said earlier, but let's talk about that rider and the rider's role. So how does the rider participate now? How do you see that changing in the future? Our message is, you know, uh, take a proactive approach. So I talked about the ABCs earlier, making sure that you're being proactive when you're out there on the road, uh, making sure you understand the laws and what's going on. I do think there's, you know, I think there, there does need to be sort of a re-education around that space about how to behave on the road as a cyclist. You know, I think one thing with the pandemic is a ton of cyclists got on, you know, got onto bikes for the first time. You know, people dusted off their old uh, Trek Lance Armstrong bike for the first time, realized it wasn't working. Uh, went and bought a bike and, you know, we have a lot of new cyclists out there on the road and that, uh, that ownership is on you to communicate, uh, whether it's a car out there or pedestrians on, on the sidewalk, you know, we hear all the time about, you know, one of the things with e-bikes is people are getting super upset because, you know, people are going blasting by on an e-bike in a community at a sidewalk at 25 miles per hour. Right. And, you know, so with so many bikes and so many people new to it, you know, I think it's important that we get education out there and people understand, you know, how to keep themselves safe and everyone around them safer as well. How do you think that might change in the future? Do you, do you see a world where there will be some standard features for tech, uh, maybe own bikes or operated bikes? And um, like, how, how do you see this evolving fast forward five years from now? Yeah, you know, I think, <laughs> I think the industry will move a lot faster than any sort of regulation will. You know, I think we've seen, you know, that, it, you know, if, if, if consumers think that it's going to keep them safe, they're willing to invest in it. I'm sure we're seeing that, you know, over on the automobile side of it, you know, people will invest in safety. I think the technology will continue to accelerate, you know, on the cycling side. And there's, you know, certainly a lot of, you know, great products out there. Like I think a really good example is the Garmin Varia. If, if you are familiar with that, it's, it's, it's growing exponentially. It works really, really well. And it's basically a rear facing radar um, that you can hook up to your Garmin computer, your Wahoo computer. Um, when cars come up, it gives you a little beep and lets you know that someone's coming up behind you. It's very specific to road cyclists, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, it's a little bit too busy in the city environments, you know, because it's hanging all the time. But, you know, people that use it now, you know, that I know of, uh, they don't like leaving home without it. Mm -hmm. And I think stuff like that will just continue to accelerate and it'll become more top of mind. And I think you'll see that rise to the top, just like the Bontrager Flare RT that we talked about earlier, right? Once that sort of gained momentum and people understood the story, um, I think we'll see that accelerate uh, a lot faster than the regulation will. Um, unless somebody's blazing down bike paths at 25 miles per hour and uh, a senior home, then they're probably going to put up some laws about e-bikes on roads. <laughs> yeah. I also want to give a little plug. Uh, we had Ross Sterling from Garmin, uh, who's responsible for the safety products there, put a great blog out in the bike lane. And uh, big kudos to him and the team for making a decision to allow their competitor in the cycling world, uh, Wahoo, to connect to the the Garmin Varia. They very they could have easily just said this is for Garmin only, and um, you know I I think they they the actions speak a lot louder than words about how they allowed their competitors to connect to that product. Now, obviously, they still got to sell the the radar system, but. 
Uh, this is something that it just, we're seeing more and more examples about how safety is for everybody. And, uh, it's, it's good for, good for the riders. It's good for business. It's a good look. And I, that's, I I love telling stories like that. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up the Varia. Um, you mentioned about the tech can move a lot faster than regulations. I want to just talk, touch briefly on that. And, and I agree. And, and as a very proud member of the consumer technology association, we are big supporters in, working with government and not for government. So uh, we feel like in in the US, and this is clearly self-serving, that we do a, a very good job and a better job of of driving innovation uh, from the private sector and then working with, with regulators and, and those agencies accordingly. Now, there is something that I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on about Trek's role and maybe more generally the cycling industry's role, because there's Consumer technology now, and you mentioned about putting a, an expensive widget on your bike that's heavy and has to be recharged, and that's that's not a good move, especially for someone that is looking at a, um, an acoustic or analog, like non-connected, non-electric bike. But where do you see the consumer technology space stepping in, like via mobile phones and 5G? And like, what are some areas you think that they have a really good advantage of to make ridership safer? Where do you see that split between the cycling electronics groups and could be Trek specific or more general? And, and where does the, the larger consumer tech world play in with mobile phones and alike? I wouldn't say that cycling is going to pioneer a lot of this stuff. I think consumer electronics, you know, obviously they move a lot quicker. The innovation on that side, you know, moves a lot faster. And I think... You know, it does take a little bit, I think, of time for that sort of, um, for the adoption to come through. There are really exciting technologies. And I think there's, now there's like four or five to consider versus probably five years. It was like, ah, Bluetooth, but it isn't really that great. It doesn't, isn't really that stable. And, you know, now it's a super stable technology and there's been a lot of discussion around 5G. And I think, you know, if anything, it puts a lot of pressure on us as consumer electronic manufacturers, because, you know, we in a lot of ways, we have to keep putting more things on our products, you know, and so trying to kind of forecast where it's going to go, and what's going to work out well um, or not work out well. I mean, I think every, I'm going to say every other month we have a discussion about a particular sensor or a type of communication protocol that it's like, do we need this? And then sometimes we launch stuff, we put it in there and it's obsolete by the time it gets in. And, and that's because the, the electronics industry moves fast and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the next great technology is out there on the horizon and, you know, it's really difficult because, you know, it takes a couple of years to develop a product and you put that in there and then you launch it and then it's in the market for three years and five years goes on. I mean, look at our iPhone, your iPhone's dramatically different after five years um, just because of what they're able to pack into that little thing. And so I think it's an opportunity. I think we have to be better about it. And I think we have to be more flexible with it because I think, you know, the more we are flexible with it, the better opportunity we have in the future just to connect to more things. And to provide sort of whether it's a safety message from a car um, or, you know, whether it's somebody calling you or sending you a message while you're on a ride. I think um, there's really, really special things out there and we have to keep an open mind. Absolutely love it, Bob. And it's, it's great to hear that, that you and your team are always thinking about this and always evaluating because there's no shortage of slideware these days. So we got to make sure we know what's real and, and what, uh, what can hit the market and, and take uh, bets uh, 
accordingly. You're clearly in tune. So what are some of your favorite podcasts, newsletters, shows? Like, like how are you staying current? And uh, I'll put the links in as well for the listeners. But what are things that you're tuning into that you absolutely love that helps helps you out? Yeah, um, yeah, a few podcasts. Um, I'm a big Freakonomics radio uh, listener. Uh, I really love Stephen Dubner's CEO series. Um, I thought he did a tremendous job with that. Check that out. I listen to Mixergy, which is a kind of startup stories. They talk about, you know, companies that have kind of transformed themselves and come up from being really tiny. Um, I'm a huge reader. Um, we have a thing at Track readers are leaders uh, at Track Bicycle. Um, I just got done reading Originals by Adam Grant. Fantastic book. Um, I highly recommend that one. And then, you know, we can never get enough Steve Jobs. Creativity Inc. is about the Pixar story. Ed Cantmo wrote that one. Um, it's a little bit older. I picked it up recently. You still get a little Steve Jobs, but um, just because he helped uh, sort of found that company. But um, just a fantastic ride. You know, if you if you like the whole Apple story and Steve Jobs, like that's kind of a 1B to the, to the Jobs book. And I really enjoyed that one. So. Excellent. Last question. How can our listeners follow or get in touch? Yeah, you know, I think the easiest way is to, rank, uh, is to reach out on LinkedIn. Um, Bob Naiduk, um, you can search, you can find me. There's two Bob Naidukes. There's a, one that works for Staples, which is my my older senior father. Um, and then there's one that works for Trek Bicycle. So, you know, you can friend both of us if you want. I, I don't care, but uh, just make sure you look out. There's probably only two in the world, though, but they can know the last name of Naiduk. Uh, but reach out to me there. You, know, you can add me on LinkedIn and we can start the conversation. Awesome. Thanks, Bob. That was Bob Naiduk, Director of Electronics at Trek Bicycle. Again, I'm your host, Jake Siegel. Thanks again for listening and see you next time in the bike lane.